listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. Welcome back to Soil Talk, everyone. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, you'll know that we've got Jason Weller with Land Lakes and the True Terra Insights Engine here as our guest today, and we're going to kind of continue that conversation. If you missed the last episode, we kind of gave a a 30,000 foot overview of uh, what Land Lakes is doing on the sustainability front, why they chose to, to build the model of the Truteria Insights engine to give growers a look at their, you know, their conservation practices, soil loss, nutrient use efficiency, um, carbon sequestration, what the sustainability is of their practices, how they've uh, worked with food companies and retailers and, and even consumers, uh, and trying to tell a good story about what we're doing here in, in American agriculture and how we're trying to, to raise food the right way, you know, to make sure we're environmentally friendly and what we're doing, to try to make sure we're involved in defining that story and not other people, you know, are kind of out there on the fringes, aren't really all that familiar with farming, but for whatever reason have it in their head that we might be the bad guys. This is our way to kind of counter that. But in this episode, I really want to start getting into the, the, the meat and potatoes of what we've got here. Go from that 30,000 foot view to more boots on the ground and what the model does and what maybe some practices are a farmer can think about. So Jason, welcome back. Tim, thank you very much. Excited to be back. Bet. So what practices does the model tend to encourage? So, you know, I'm a grower and I, I get with my Central Valley Ag agronomist and and uh, see uh, that agronomist might get with me and we'd put together kind of uh, here's here's the information we need from the grower kind of you know what your fertilizer practices are your herbicide practices we, we actually need the the location the boundaries of that field um, from those boundaries of course we're going to get topography we're going to get soil type we're going to know your precipitation um, we'll bring in some other things like you know what tillage method when are you planting what kind of yields have you gotten over the year um, of course, some of that stuff can come in automatically from some of the, the precision ag tools we use, like, you know, maybe myjohndeere.com or Climate, whatever growers use. And of course, some of the stuff that CBA is using, if we're making the applications of fertilizer, we can bring that information in as well. But when that grower sits down and says, okay, here's what I did, I've got it in there, you know, give me my rundown of where I'm at now. What does the tool tend to push growers toward as ways to improve their sustainability? So the Insights Engine takes a lot of the information Tim you're talking about, the soils, the slope, the terrain, the weather, and using that we can show the producer what are the inherent risks in this field of leaching, of runoff, of wind erosion. And so just for example in that nutrient management conversation we just had, um, it will then advise, well hey did you know that your soils are actually really prone to leaching? And even at subfield scale, the farmer and the advisor can then see, actually, you have nitrogen use efficiency variability across this field. So what then is the, the, the game plan we want to devise to tackle that leaching risk, but also that NUE variability? So we can really stretch that fertilizer dollar to the maximum extent and hopefully then get better crop success. And so I think the insights engine, the takeaway is it's really a flexible platform that allows the farmer to ask questions, to experiment with different practices, get feedback on the results, and then build out a game plan with their advisor or themselves on how they wanna tackle their, their crop production. One of the things I like most about the Insights Engine 
is that nitrogen use efficiency. So, you know, as you talk to a grower, a lot of times, if you ask them, you know, well, about how many pounds of nitrogen are you applying per bushel? A lot of times they don't have a number off the top of your head. So, you know, one of the best things about models in general is they quantify things. They give you numbers that you can work on. Now, those numbers aren't always 100% accurate, but they give you a ballpark and they tell you, here's the ballpark you're in, and here's some things maybe we could think about doing to make it better. And nitrogen use efficiency is an easy one as an agronomist to jump onto. You know, when we talk about, okay, you've got about a pound of nitrogen per bushel of, and I'll just use corn here as an example, but a pound of nitrogen per bushel of corn, well, that's not a bad number, especially if you're corn on corn, but we could get better. You know, we've got quite a few people that are running around that 0.8 pounds of nitrogen applied per bushel of corn that they're pulling off of there. So, you know, some just getting that number in front of the grower and saying, you know, that number's pretty good, but it's not as good as a lot of people are. And especially, you know, as we work with more and more growers in the Insights engine, we've got more people to compare them to and just have a good intelligent conversation. You're at 1.1. A lot of guys we're working with are running about a 0 0.9, 0 0.8. What could we do to make it better? Now, again, crop rotation is huge. Tougher to get there when you're corn on corn, especially if you're corn on soybeans, your corn falling off alpha. You know, some things like split application, like you mentioned, using a nitrification inhibitor to try to hold it in the ammonia form longer. There's a lot of opportunities that the tool kind of points you for it. And the big thing it does right away is gives you a quantifiable number to say, Here's my score. Here's how I compare to others. Maybe this is something I should focus on, or maybe I'm in great shape. We'll move on to something else. Exactly right. And it gives you that, that starting place for that conversation. So instead of anecdote or gut, you have something to react to. Um, I will say, I mean, as, as you alluded here, Tim, you know, it's a model. And by definition, a model is always wrong. <laughs> uh, but it's directionally correct. It gives you a, a basis for starting the conversation and gives you then a, a, a place to start a plan. And what I like about the Insights Engine, which is different from other tools, is actually showing at, at the subfield scale, the variability of, in this case, nitrogen use efficiency across the field. And from a, a crop productivity and a, a crop budget standpoint, that's important to track and obviously to get on top of. From an environmental sustainability standpoint, that also is really important. So one of the learnings from USDA is around 70, 80% of the nutrient loss that occurs in a, in a watershed called the Upper Mississippi River or the Missouri River Valley, um, about 80% of the loss of nitrogen occurs in about 20% of the acres. And it's not 20% of the farms or 20% of fields. It's really every field based on soil and slope. It, that's the loss pathway. And so that's lost crop budget, that's lost crop fertility because of an inefficient application, maybe bad timing, bad form. Uh, but it's also understanding the variability of your soils and your terrain, then work with your agronomist and come up with a game plan. Okay, well, how do we minimize that, that, that valuable loss of that, that crop input that I would rather have growing corn and not end up in Missouri River or end up into you know, Mississippi River, wherever you are that has a broader uh, community impact as well. Yeah, it's another part of that nitrogen use efficiency number from the tool is not only does it give you a field average, it gives you a range across your field. And that's exactly right, that you might have a field average of a 0.8 or a 0.9, which are really good numbers, but you might also have an area over here that's 1.5. You know, exactly. generally that's yield 
um, is your biggest issue is it just didn't yield that well and you applied the same amount of nitrogen, which brings up, you know, could we do variable nitrogen? Before we jump there, let's understand why. You know, I'm not a huge fan of just jumping into variable nitrogen. Sometimes those unproductive areas of the field actually run out of nitrogen and turn yellow before any others. Now, if that's an issue with denitrification, let's understand that. If that's a leaching issue, let's understand that. Like you said before, bringing in the four R's, the right product, the right place, the right time, uh, those are all opportunities that we've got. And again, of course, the right rate, and that's a lot about what nitrogen use efficiency is about, matching the rate to the yield. By doing those four things and seeing where we've got opportunities to apply them to fix or to decrease or increase our nitrogen use efficiency, decrease our lost nitrogen, um, a lot of opportunities there. Exactly right. Let's talk a little bit about the greenhouse gas emissions. So we talked about nitrogen use efficiency. And like I said, when I visit with a grower about their insight score, that's one of the first things we look at because it just makes so much sense to the grower. They're, they're used to trying to understand their nitrogen use. Of course, they're trying to improve their yield. So one way we can always improve nitrogen use efficiencies, improve yield is the same amount of nitrogen. But when I talk to them about, you know, greenhouse gas emissions or, or carbon uh, sequestration, a lot of times that one's just kind of a, you know, deer in the headlights. Well, what is this number? And, and my gosh, how the heck am I producing that much greenhouse gas as a grower? I, I'm growing plants out there. They, they bring in carbon dioxide and they make sugar, right? So. Yes, uh, that, that is a, um, I think it's an important conversation and it's one that, uh, I appreciate you raising and bringing up. The way I think about it is that greenhouse gas estimate that's in the Insights Engine is really, it's like almost your fuel efficiency gauge. It's your miles per gallon gauge. And when you go and buy a truck or a car, you know, they have a sticker in the, in the lot and it'll tell you this is getting 18 miles per gallon or 38 miles per gallon, whatever it is. Um, if you are emitting greenhouse gas, in this case, the, the tool is estimating your carbon dioxide emissions. So that's going to be the CO2 release from your soils. So this is where the microbes are transforming and they're consuming the biomass, the organic matter in your soils as part of the natural decay and emitting it as, as carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So that's transforming your carbon stocks into a gas. It's also estimating the CO2 from your fuel consumption, so equipment usage, and your nitrogen release, your nitrogen oxide, your N2O. That's a conversion your, your nitrogen application, again, into a gas form. So simplified. Is it safe to say it's also looking hard at, uh, say, the total carbon footprint of that acre? So I know, uh, you know, the amount of energy we use to produce nitrogen fertilizer when we bring nitrogen gas out of the air and, and you use a lot of energy to combine it with hydrogen to make, you know, anhydrous ammonia, eventually UAN, urea, whatever. It, it's taken that into account as well, right? It, we, we can, yes, it provides that look too. So there's two lenses, there's the field scale, and then there's the whole farm where it's more of that, what you're talking about. It's looking at the, the energy it took to manufacture the fertilizer, and then all the way through hauling the grain to an elevator. So it's the full energy life cycle. That's our tool also can estimate, but for the field, we also can create at the field scale what the farmer can control growing that crop in that field. And the bigger the number, is essentially, it's another way of thinking about the, the less efficient you are. And if you're burning a lot of your carbon up and into the atmosphere, whether that's your fuel bill of diesel, or whether that's gonna be you know, from uh, 
recreational tillage or a lot of passes of you know, equipment, or if you're turning your soil over, you're kind of aggressive, more conventional tillage operation. Yes, you're, you're allowing your soils to warm a little bit earlier, but it's also you're turning that, that carbon mass over and allowing the microbes to turn it into gas that's going up in the air. That's long-term gonna impact your soil performance and function. Um, so that's not necessarily good. And then uh, through uh, transformation of your, your nitrogen fertilizer into a gas, that's also your fertilizer bill going up in literally into smoke that's going up in the atmosphere. So the closer you can get that to small number, the closer you can get that to zero, that means you're optimizing your fertilizer. That means you're optimizing your equipment usage. That means you're optimizing and improving your soil health. And in some cases through um, it really advanced soil health practices, you can actually get that to negative, which means you're really efficient and optimize your fertilizer. You're being efficient, optimizing your equipment usage. And because you have so much living root and biomass in your system, you're actually pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and storing it in the soil at, in the root zone as root biomass and as, as tissue on the surface that ultimately gets brought into the soil too through decay. And that's long-term, I think, good for the bottom line for the farmer and also good for long-term soil health and soil function. That's what I found is when I uh, work with growers that, uh, especially if they're a combination of no or minimal tillage, you know, maybe strip till type thing or, or just a, a really light um, mulch type till, but mainly no till, you combine that with cover crop. And I've got several guys that are, are large number, like negative a thousand pounds of carbon uh, dioxide uh, per acre per year. Um, so basically, and, and I look at nitrogen use efficiency as a farmer number. That's one that a grower really understands. I look at greenhouse gas emissions or greenhouse gas uh, carbon sequestration as a public at large number. I mean, a lot of people out there, you know, that, that are buying the end products are really interested in the carbon footprint. And that's where I really find that number having uses is you go to relate your story as a farmer and a farm owner to that end consumer who wants to pay more attention to how they spend their food budget and know that um, the, the money they're spending are going to operations that are po positive to the environment. If you can show them a carbon sequestration, negative greenhouse gas emission number, that really resonates with them where nitrogen use efficiency is a little more out there. They don't understand the nitrogen cycle anyway. So exactly right. The, the, the food company partners that we work with, um, and it just broadly in the industry, you're right, exactly right, Tim. Um, and this is the, from the consumer to the public, it, it's around greenhouse gas. And that is to them, their bottom line metric. And so they're interested in, well, what is agriculture's contribution? And I think through Terra and the opportunity with CDA is we can flip that conversation around. It's not, what is ag's contribution? Is what are farmers actually doing to be the heroes here? Here, agriculture can actually be the only sector that, that can offset the impacts of other industries. And then also, you know, can connect to, I think, an improvement of, of financial performance for the farmer. So it's, it has the opportunity to be a win-win. And, um, and you've talked about those, those practices. It's, yes, it's those minimum till practices or reduced tillage, conservation tillage practices with rotation, with good residue management. Those are the kind of inherent principles and guys that are more willing to take, you know, leap in that space. It's also adoption of cover crops, um, which is an interesting practice as well. Not a silver bullet, but can be a great practice to include as well. And that combination um, 
I think can really drive a lot of good bottom line performance, but also connects to the broader, I think, consumer interest around greenhouse gas. You know, we talk about cover crop a lot, um, and, and I've been on a little bit of both sides of that debate. You know, if, if I'm a, a grain farmer and I don't have livestock, I don't have a use for the forage, it doesn't, doesn't help me at all as a grazing crop, and all I've got is an expense in seed and paying somebody to go uh, plant it while I'm still harvesting my other acres, or paying a, a, an aerial service to come lay that on top of a crop that is uh, maturing, but still a little ways away from harvest to try to get started a little earlier. I can see the expenses, the benefits, the benefits of soil health, the benefits of erosion control, the benefits of biological activity. Um, those are tougher to put numbers into. And again, that's the, that's the reason to have models is it allows us to quantify something and then show it to somebody else that, hey, I'm doing things that are good for the environment. You should buy your grain from me. And I know we've got a ways to go before we get there, but that's a lot of the point of this is we could get down that road with this tool. Agree. Yes, that's our whole design. That's where we want to go. Yeah. So when we talk about, again, uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions or um, trying to sequester carbon, I'd like to focus a little bit more. You talked a little bit about uh, you know, nitrogen and the opportunity to have nitrogen loss. I want to just go into depth on that one a little bit for our growers. You know, we're talking about denitrification here. You got saturated soil, so this is a lot about rate and timing, and probably timing more than anything. We get nitrogen down there in the fall, or we get it down in the early spring, and we have a lot of rainfall after that in our heavier soils or even our medium textured soils. They get saturated when it gets warm, they tend to denitrify. Nitrous oxide, N2O, is a significant greenhouse gas. And it's many times, I wanna say maybe even a hundred times more impactful than just carbon dioxide. So yes, if you run your disc across there and you mix in some stover and you, you uh, warm the soil up a little bit and you produce a bunch of biological activity that re, uh, re uh, sends out carbon dioxide, that's a negative, but not near as much as losing 50 to 100 pounds of applied nitrogen as nit nitrous oxide. That is a huge greenhouse gas issue. You're exactly right. The, it, the nitrous oxide, N2O, is a very powerful greenhouse gas, uh, but it's also a very viable input that farmer paid good money for. That's not going to be growing grain. Right. And so coming up with solutions on how to keep that nitrogen in the right form so that the plant can access it, uh, but also keep it in the soil where it's going to have maximum benefit to the farmer and, and reduce that impact to the atmosphere or to the water table. That's really important. And so, it, Tim, you, kind of, you talk a little bit about some of the strategies that you, know, you work with or your team works with with farmers to help maximize that opportunity to fertilize the crop. Um, and the, what the True Terra Insights engine is, is again, allows for that place for the agronomist and the farmer to figure out, well, what's that mix of practices that I want to try? And it's not a cookie cutter. It's not, a, you know, the menu recipe you have to follow. It's more of a toolbox. And it, it, it just, you're exactly right. Let's, before you jump in with both feet, you at least want to test the waters first. And I think the insight engine allows for that uh, kind of experimentation and starting the conversation to develop, build out the plan. Right. Yeah, the big thing is that conversation starter. Again, quantify where that grower's at now. Let's look at some different practice they might, might try. I always like to talk about the systems approach. So, you know, if you really want to affect uh, greenhouse gas emissions, 
the two things to look at are, are tillage and cover crop are two big ones, but again, also um, that nitrous oxide loss. And again, that system. So reduce some of your tillage, maybe go to a no-till system. Again, for every grower and, and their system, you, you gotta have that starting point and then make those small changes. But by integrating that cover crop, maybe we can also sequester some of that nitrogen into an organic form where we're not gonna lose it to um, uh, denitrification and, and produce that nitrous oxide. Maybe we can have that cover crop include a legume in it so we can produce a little bit of nitrogen that we're getting out of the atmosphere and get some free nitrogen credit. So everything doesn't have to be applied nitrogen that's in a nitrate form and can be denitrified and lost both from a nitrogen use efficiency and again from the greenhouse gas side, you know, bring that cover crop into part of that overall reduction of soil loss, improvement in soil health uh, piece. And again, that's the nice thing about the Insights engine is it can quantify all those pieces and bring that whole system together and get full credit for it. And again, while we're doing that, tell that story to the American consumer about why we as growers who aren't concerned about the environment and our own profitability, obviously, um, why we can partner with you and, and you know do something together. Tim, I don't know what you had for breakfast today, but I just am really impressed with your passion here for the Insights Engine, but more broadly around sustainability. So here's a question for you, Jason. Can farmers affect climate change by sequestering carbon? I know that that idea is a little out there probably for the American farmer. They probably think only the, the fruits and nuts from your home state would come up with that, but actually a lot of us agronomists think along those same lines. Tim, I'm gonna read into that that you see me as a specialty crop. I'm gonna leave it there. Um, yes, uh, the fruits and nuts are part of a climate change solution, but I think um, production ag, again, I think can be really, has an opportunity here to step into the breach and show a positive uh, approach here to address the public's concerns, the food system's concerns, but other sectors. And so when I say other sectors, this can include the transportation industry, the energy industry, um, a lot of other industries that emit greenhouse gases, and they don't really have a way to offset their impact. I think agriculture is different because we use photosynthesis uh, we are literally transforming carbon into biomass and into sugars and into tissue. We can take carbon and greenhouse gas out of the atmosphere and store it as food and grain, as plant tissue, and as in roots and as organic matter in the soils. And that's unique. And so not only can we reduce our impact as an industry, but ultimately we want to position the farmer to be able to sell longer term their carbon credits or greenhouse gas credits to others. So I, I think this is an emerging opportunity. Um, there are some that are trying to roll out this capability right now. I'd say in the current economy and in the current kind of COVID global economic concerns we're facing right now, that's gonna be tough to do. Um, I think we all have from the ag industry, you know, a lot of concerns around, of course, the economy in different sectors of ag. Um, it's very challenging right now. But then when you look at these other sectors, whether in transportation or energy, they themselves are facing some, some financially, some challenges. But um, I still think long-term, all the fundamentals are there. The fundamentals being um, a growing global demand and interest in carbon and in offsets and purchasing those credits. And I think agriculture now, we have the technology and the tools to do that. 
and where we want to position farmers in the U.S. broadly, but farmers that then work with Central Valley Ag and with TrueTerra specifically, we want to ensure that when farmers are using those really beneficial practices, they should have a bottom line benefit to the farmer. We're not asking farmers to do things that don't have a return, that don't make sense. But they also then, as you're talking about, Tim, can create offsets because they're going to be net negative. They're actually pulling carbon atmosphere. And so when they have that negative um, pull from the atmosphere, well, I think there are going to be people who are willing to pay the farmer for that to offset their impact. And that's additional revenue potential. And that's where I think the industry is going to be heading. And we want TrueTerra and CBA to be the first to offer that to farmers. One of the real positives of the entire soil health, biological activity conversation has really been maybe an improvement in our understanding of how plants manage carbon in their system. I, I didn't realize it until fairly recently that uh, really a lot of plants between 30 and 50% even of the, the sugars or the carbon that they produce from photosynthesis, from carbon dioxide, actually get exuded through the roots as root exudates and feed the uh, soil microbial life in the soil. That opportunity, having a plant growing in our system for a longer period of time, because you know, typically that corn, soybean, you know, we've got about 90 to 100 days there that we're doing a pretty good job of pulling carbon dioxide out of the air, but a lot of the rest of the year, we're just not doing that much. There's opportunity in our systems to have plants growing longer, and that really is a pretty darn good push to this whole carbon sequestration conversation. Um, again, a, a grower looks at that, and if he doesn't have livestock to feed that plant to, he probably says, well, where's my revenue stream? And really, that's the answer here. We, we see a potential revenue stream. It existed for a little while in the 90s. We probably didn't have the technology. Of course, there's always the political side of it. Um, but going forward, it's probably more likely than not that we're going to see that come back. And here's an opportunity for growers to get paid for doing the right thing for our environment. Right. Hey, Tim, in that short blurb, I just, you touched upon the, all the four principles of a, a soil health system. So I just want to just, number one, I, again, I, I don't know what you had for breakfast, but I just, whatever you're eating, I want access to. Uh, but the, those four principles is first, it's minimize disturbance of the soil. The second is, is keeping the soil covered. So in all different ways, living, living biomass, but also residue. Um, third is maximize living roots, exactly what you're talking about. It's because those living roots are the highway, the pathway that takes the sun energy and sends it into the soils to feed the farmer's livestock below the surface of the soils. All that microbiota, which the farmer needs to actually transform the minerals in the soil into something available to the, to the plant. And then um, the fourth is to diversify the rotation. So that can be your calf crop rotation, but also when appropriate, uh, diversifying into cover crops as well. So using that print, those four principles, um, it's taking the sun's energy, transforming into biomass, feeding your livestock below the surface of soils, putting that livestock to work for you, ultimately feed your cash crop. Um, that has a, a direct benefit to the producer, but then that system longer term, I'm really optimistic, can also be the pathway to generate additional revenue, not just sell grain, but also other commodities, in this case, uh, credits like carbon removal credits. And you mentioned uh, earlier, and it actually might've been the last broadcast, 
that improved soil health does a lot for our resiliency of our, our soil to, to really handle a lot of the stresses out there. So as you increase the amount of organic matter out there, which everybody talks about, it's not that easy to do, but can be done. And it takes time with the practices we're talking about here. You, you improve that organic matter percentage or increase that organic matter percentage. You improve that microbial life. You diversify that microbial population as well as your plants above the ground population. You, you you increase your water infiltration. You've just got a lot more opportunity. You increase, fr frankly, your uh, your friendly insects or beneficial insects or beneficial microbial life. You've got more of an ability to resist disease. You've got more of an ability to resist insects. You've got more ability to take advantage of every drop of water that hits that piece of ground. Giving your soil that resilience um, really does lead to more profitability. Exactly right. And that's where um, it's that longer term. And that's, it, it, it's not a uh, shake and bake. You kind of pour on the cover crop cocktail year one and you see instant results. It is a journey. That's why it's in part, it, it requires, I think, some patience from the grower, but also willing to adapt and learn. And having, I think, a, an advisor uh, such as yourself, Tim, you seem obviously pretty uh, conversant and expert in this topic and probably have a lot of experience yourself. So having that pro to help the farmer through that journey, first starting to adopt a single practice, not going a cold start into a holistic system that can be a lot to handle one year, but thinking through the rotation, what's my three-year plan to get into the system and adapting year over year, kind of learning. Um, farmers I talk to who get on the backside, who get into that more of that soil health management system, whether it's three years or it's five years, when, once they get fully into that system, they, they swear they'll never go back. Uh, because they see everything you're talking about. They see yield variability improve, you know, reduction. So they're more predictable yield production. Uh, better resistant to drought because they have their soils hold moisture longer. Uh, cooler temps in the soil months. So again, you're not, you're not stressing the crops. More resistant to different pests and, and soil diseases because you have a more diversified crop and you have the, a natural ecosystem there that's defending itself against from other diseases coming into the soils. Um, all the other benefits you listed out, growers will talk about, and, and a lot of it is they can just, they can literally feel it when they drive their equipment across the field, or when they walk their fields themselves, they just know there's a change happening in the soils, and they can see the result in their, their, their bottom line financial performance. But it's a journey. It's not something you just uh, flip a switch, and you can buy, you know, off the shelf, and you get instant soil health. It, it's a change in management systems, management philosophy, and it requires a little bit of patience. Yeah. You're, you're right there. It's a journey. And that's a conversation I have with a guy when we talk about cover crop is don't have huge expectations. You're number one. You know, the two things are, that I can tell you for sure is you're going to have to buy seed. You're going to have to pay somebody to apply it and you're going to have to kill it. So, you know, those things are all costs. The benefits generally come down the line, but uh, it works right. out. You know, one piece we haven't covered is we, you know, we've talked a lot about nitrogen use efficiency. We've talked about profitability. We've talked about greenhouse gas emissions. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, where you're from with uh, soil loss, you know, from all those years with NRCS and SCS. Um, on the soil loss side of it, it seems like the tool, you know, does a nice job, again, of quantifying given the topography, given your current uh, conservation and um, tillage practices, your yield. So obviously it's understanding some of the biomass that's being created. It does a pretty good job of just showing the grower how much soil you're losing. And sometimes that's a big surprise. You know, guys think, well, gosh, I'm not losing anything. Well, that's never true. 
So talk a little bit about the tool's ability to, to help growers understand their soil loss and what's sustainable and frankly, what's not. Uh, so the tool is, I, I think actually is, is pretty good at it. It, it helps the farmer understand actually how much erosion is occurring. And it's in some fields, uh, if you're flat and you know, deep rich soils, heavy soils, okay, it's maybe not a risk. But if you have a little bit of slope, a little bit of terrain, maybe you have more risk of soils, it can actually be very significant. So nationally, stepping back, big picture, um, there, the average uh, per acre soil loss is about four, four and a half tons per acre, uh, which is very significant. That's actually, that's not sustainable. <laughs> Um, that's both water and wind erosion. So it, it'll vary. Some states, it's going to be more water erosion. Some states, you know, particularly when you get into West Nebraska, West Kansas, Oklahoma, it's going to be more wind erosion as soils tend to blow. Um, but on average, it's about four tons per acre per year. Uh, but the, you'll see huge variability. And so this is where it comes back to our tool. Again, it depends on the soil type you have in your field. It depends upon the slope in your field and your management. And that combination, you can have huge ranges where you can have portions of your field where you're getting less than a ton per acre per year of, of topsoil erosion, which is probably sustainable. It's coming back to NRCS, that would be at T, which is the tolerable rate of loss. You're gonna have portions of the field I've seen in the same field uh, estimates were upwards of 10, 12, 13 tons more per acre per year. That's catastrophic soil erosion. That's what feel, uh, fills, uh, creates massive gullies, which you know, will break axles and, and ruin equipment when you run across it. It will fill your, your road ditch with topsoil, which you gotta get the front loader in to, to dig out every spring. Um, that is, uh, that's a concern really for long-term. And you may have a lot of topsoil today, but if you keep farming that way 10, 20 years from now, that's a lot, that topsoil is gone. And you're losing your most valuable asset, which is your topsoil. And once it's gone, it is literally gone. And it takes sometimes centuries, if not millennia, to get it back. And so how do we help the farmer identify where they're losing their soil and how to keep it in place growing crops? And that's where I think the Insights Engine, um, again, provides a really powerful tool to start the conversation, help the farmer identify what's my current erosion. I did not know I was losing that much. Where in the field is that erosion occurring? And then again, start to, to game plan out well, maybe it's a practice like a waterway, maybe it's a structural practice like a terrace, maybe it's farming on the contour, or maybe it's uh, my management, so it's my tillage operations, or maybe I wanna try a practice like cover crops because it has multi-benefits to it. Again, it, it puts the tools in the hands of the grower and the, their advisor to come up with what's their playbook for the field, but it at least starts with, okay, giving them awareness, what's their current erosion, and what are some different practices I can use to help tamp down erosion and keep the soil where I need it, which is growing grain. So Jason, I think we pretty well covered it here. Um, I wanna throw one more thing out there to our growers. So, you know, some of these growers are, are Central Valley Ag customers, others are outside of our trade territory, but uh, you know, either way, if they're interested in this tool and, and being able to, you know, model their practices as far as the sustainability uh, score goes and, and looking at these greenhouse gas emissions, looking at nitrogen use efficiency, looking at soil loss, contact one of the Central Valley Ag locations, contact myself, uh, the CBA Nutrient Management Lead. If you get a hold of one of our field sales agronomists, uh, we can get you uh, uh, an information packet and, and get you the, the uh, list of things that we need to bring your fields, you know, start with a field boundary, 
information about what your practices are from a herbicide standpoint, from a fertilizer standpoint, a tillage standpoint, planting dates, you know, we'll kind of track things through the growing season. I need to talk to you about what your yield ended up being. I prefer if I can get that electronically. Um, need to know if, if you were having to dry your crop, you know, just fairly basic information. Uh, and, and one thing about this data, of course, it's not shared. Um, it goes into the, the engine, it's their data. Uh, obviously we'll use it in a, uh, how do I want to say this, a, a, an overall, um, all the growers, the millions of acres in Terra, you know, we'll use as we talk to, you know, food companies, talk to uh, environmental people about, you know, being able to score agricultural practices and maybe differentiate um, some grain production and, and its value to the consumer from an environmental standpoint. But, you know, just if a, if a listener wants to get a hold of somebody here at CVA, we'll be able to help you get your acres enrolled into this uh, Truterra Insights engine and, and give you those scores and talk through, you know, what some improvements they might want to think about. So any last minute comments uh, from your side, Jason? I think we covered it pretty well, both from that overview and more of the you know, nuts and bolts of what a grower you know, can be looking at and, and the things that the tool looks at. Hey, Tim, I think it's been a great conversation, both episode one, episode two. We've touched upon a lot of great topics, you know, from the 30,000 foot view down into the microarosal zone. Uh, we kind of covered, covered the, the whole terrain here. I love it. I'm, again, really impressed by CVA's leadership um, and Tim, of course, your expertise and passion for these different topics, but also I'm proud of the partnership uh, with your farmers. And I hope that, that CVA and your farmers find value in working with the TrueTerra team and the TrueTerra Insights Engine. And I think it is a, a compelling tool, an interesting tool. Again, it, it helps the farmer identify additional practices uh, that they might want to try adopting and what's going to be that ROI, that profit impact, but also the sustainability stewardship impact. And in the end, we want to work with CVA and your farmers to tell the story, either their individual stories, uh, with, of course, their permission, but really more broadly, the supply chain story about how production agriculture is actually doing a lot of really great things to ensure the sustainability of our food production system. And so to your last point, uh, we hold uh, very strongly the belief that this is farmer's data. Uh, we protect their privacy. We always, if we ever share anything, it's always aggregated and anonymized uh, at the macro level. So we're never sharing an individual producer's private information, the results on their farm, their fields. It's always on a macro scale. Uh, but that said, we also would love to work with CBA and your farmers if, you know, at a local level um, to highlight and, and really show CBA's leadership here. And I, again, I really credit and applaud what you guys are doing. We're really proud to be part of the team. We are too. Uh, Winfield and uh, Land Lakes and CVA have been long-term partners for, for a lot of years. So, Well, Jason, thanks for being a part of Soil Talk. And to our listeners out there, uh, be safe with the uh, COVID-19 virus. Hopefully, uh, you know, things kind of get back to normal here soon. And for our producers out there, um, have a safe uh, spring planting season. With Jason Weller, I'm Tim Mundorf. Uh, this has been Soil Talk. Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cbacoop.com and you can see our agronomy focus blog series every other Thursday.
with Soil Talk. This is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.